This morning we continue with our The Prophets Foretold Advent series. As we make our way to Christmas and the birth of our Lord and Savior. Our text this morning is Malachi chapter 3 and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 7a. Now Malachi is one of the minor prophets. He doesn't play a huge role in the history of God's people, but he is yet one more person, one more voice that God uses to speak to his people. In our Bibles today, the book of Malachi is located at the very end of the Old Testament. But the minor prophets, they're not all arranged chronologically. Malachi was not the last prophet to speak before the 300 years of silence preceding the coming of Christ, even though his book is put last in the arrangement. Small books like Malachi can be hard to place in the biblical timeline. They don't all include dates and times and political figures, which all help with that dating process. That said, scholars believe that Malachi was written during an exciting time for the Israelites, post-exile, during the time of Nehemiah. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah and talked about how it, Jeremiah was a prophet during the exile, when much of Israel had been taken to Babylon and only a small remnant remained in Judah. Malachi lived when the people were leaving Babylon and returning to their homeland. This was a time of optimism for Israel. They had begun rebuilding their capital city of Jerusalem. The temple, the symbol of God's presence in the city and with the people, had already been rebuilt. They took care of that before they took care of everything else. Like that was real high up on the list. It's been built. But though there was a sense of optimism, the people were discouraged. They did not see God moving in the ways that they expected him to. And so... In their waiting and in their discouragement, the people began to succumb to moral lapses. It is into these moral lapses that God speaks to the people through the prophet Malachi. We see this clearly at the end of Malachi 2, where we read verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? This is the context the verses we'll be focusing on this morning speak into. The people of God are, 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 sorry, the people are wearing God out. First, they are insisting that God is pleased with people when they sin. And then they are asking the question, where is the God of justice? And the answer is coming. He is coming. I invite you to read along with me as we read God's response to the people this morning. Again, we're in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 7a. If you have your Bibles with you, that's great. If not, that's cool because we'll have the words on the screen behind me. Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 7a. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, 
against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Lessons the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Man, my throat is super dry. In October of 1861, Charles Dickens published his 13th novel titled Great Expectations. This particular book was set in England in, in the early to mid-19th century. The story follows a boy named Pip through adolescence and into adulthood. At his core, Pip desires to be the best version of himself that he can be. When he encounters a luxury, he longs to be a wealthy gentleman. When he thinks of his moral shortcomings, he wishes that he were good and resolves to do better. When he realizes that he can't read, he decides to learn how. Pip's desire for self-improvement is the main source of the novel's title. Because he believes in the possibility of advancement in life, he has great expectations about his future. Great expectations. Almost every year at Christmas, I get nervous about the great expectations that my children have for the presents they will unwrap on Christmas morning. Feels like it's all year that I hear, can you get me that for Christmas? The expectations of what Christmas morning might hold for children doesn't begin during the Christmas season. It starts as soon as they're done playing with what we got them last year. And now, with Amazon and Google, my children have been able to find all sorts of crazy expensive goodies to ask for. You can feel like their expectations are so high, and I wonder if there's any way that they can reasonably and responsibly be met. Will they like what Karen and I got them? I ask myself. Will they, be, will they be disappointed if we didn't meet their expectations? If everything isn't the way they want it to be, will they love me less? Will they think that I love them less? The concerns of not meeting expectations aren't just limited to Christmas presents. Of course, each of us has areas of life where we know we should be doing better, but we're just struggling. Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's grades in school. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship with children or a spouse or your parents or your friends. Maybe it's our walk with the Lord. Like Pip, we know where we want to be, right? Like we can, we can see it. We, we can feel it. We long for it. We have great expectation for how our lives are going to go, for how successful we will become, for how deeply we will love and for how fulfilled we will feel. What happens when we fall short of those expectations? What happens when our great expectations become broken promises and embarrassing regret? How did the people of Malachi 2 respond to the expectations that God had of them as his people? They knew that God had these high expectations of them, but 
They knew that they weren't living up to them. They were struggling to be the people that God had called them to be. They were falling into their moral failures, their lapses, and they didn't want to feel bad about it, so they decided that they would change the game. They told themselves that everyone who does evil is good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. We can't be good enough for God, they figured. We'll just decide that God's ecstatic when we fall short. And often our response is the same as our Old Testament counterparts, isn't it? Often our response to not meeting expectations is to lower them. Now let's be clear, sometimes the expectations are just too high. Like moms, if your expectation is that your kids are going to be well-behaved little angels all the time, and your house is always going to have the Marie Kondo stamp of approval, those expectations are way too high. We love our kids, but we know that they are little sinners too. And the house is going to get wrecked by a whirlwind of fun and insanity about the time that they get out of bed for the day. The thing is, some expectations are just too high. At the same time, some expectations are important. Some are necessary. Some we don't have the luxury of lowering. It's important for us to take care of our health. We can't lower the the standard of our self-care, be it a diet or exercise, or what we are ingesting or inhaling without some potentially serious ramifications. Doesn't mean we can't have that piece of cake for dessert, but it does probably mean that we shouldn't be eating the cake for dinner. It's important to take care of our bodies, the bodies that God has given us. If we lower the expectations of ourselves in school, we're harming our future. Though in today's educational system, we may get a passing grade, we don't go to school for the grades, we go to learn. And if we're not learning what the class is designed to teach us, we won't be able to apply it once we're out, no matter how good or whatever our grade may have been. If we lower our expectations at work, we risk being let go. Just because the job is hard doesn't mean we can slack off. We don't have the luxury of lowering those expectations. Some expectations, though difficult to live up to, are important. For the one doing the expecting does not bend. They will not lower their expectations of us. No, the people of Israel wanted to lower God's expectations. Though they tried to lower the bar to God is happy when people sin, God wasn't having any of it. His expectations of people do not change. They they cannot. He is God. No matter how we may want to lower the standards, He cannot be in relationship with the unrighteous, with the sinner, with the standard that we set. God has great expectations for his people. He has great expectations for you and for me, and we cannot meet them. We can't be perfect in the ways that God has called us to be perfect. It would be nice if we could be like Pip, see where we wanted to be, and and work hard to get there, maybe cut a corner here or there, but still end up with what we had worked so hard to achieve, and While that may work in some areas of life, it does not work in our relationship with the Lord. We cannot work our way into his presence, into favor with him, for none of our works are good enough. So where where do we go from here? We can't meet the expectations, so where does our relationship with God go from here? God's great expectations do not change. But in his grace, mercy, and love, and through faith in his son, God has changed us. And that's what we see in our text this morning. 
The prophet Malachi tells of one who is coming. You are wondering where the God of justice is? Where the one who will make everything right is? Where the one who will keep the promises that have been made to you is? He's coming, Malachi tells the people. But who will be able to stand on the day that he comes? For we are a sinful people. Who will be able to stand before God? No one. And so we must be refined. We must be changed. In our text this morning, we see that it is the messenger from God that is the one who is sent to us from the Father that does the refining. He does the purifying. Our text this morning reads, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. The Levites were the priests in the Old Testament, but we see in, in, the, in 1 Peter that we, the church, are a royal priesthood. And so through this messenger, through Christ, God has refined us so that our gifts to him, our works, are righteousness. How can this be? How does this purifying take place? Through faith in Jesus Christ and his work. On the cross. When Jesus took that cross up the hill to Calvary, he also took every time we fell short of the great expectations that God has for us. Every time we've lied, cheated, hated, struggled, lusted, envied, every time we've sinned, every time we've fallen short, missed the mark, every time we haven't been able to live up to God's expectations of us is a time that Christ died for. He hung on a cursed tree and died for you and for me and for every sin that we've ever committed. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And because of this victory, the Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he did all of this for us, and we are resting in the faith that God has given us, then the sinful rags of our sins have been taken from us and we have put on Christ. We have put on the robes of Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the righteous perfection of his son. This is how God purified us. Through Christ, he has made satisfaction for all of our sins. Through Christ, he has reconciled us to himself. Through Christ, we have relationship with God again. Through Christ, we are forgiven. What a promise. What a hope that we have that we cannot meet God's expectations on our own, but because of Christ, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, because of the righteousness that he has imputed to us, that he has given us, God's great expectations are met and he welcomes us as his children. And as his children, God is still raising us. He's still training us. True, through faith in Christ, we are given Christ's righteousness, but does that, that does not mean that we are not still fighting our sinful nature and our desire to sin on the regular. We fight that guy all the time. I can be a Christian saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, and still be a dirty, rotten sinner. For as Luther says, we are at the same time saint and sinner. And so God is continually working on that sinning part. He continually shapes us and molds us. He is working on us that we might be more like him, more like he wants us to be. Christ's work on the cross does not cancel out God's desire for us to follow his ways. So though we have been justified through Christ, God is still working on us. We are not 
finished products. And we won't be until we are made new when God remakes the heavens and the earth. When, we wonder. When will the promises be kept? When will we suffer no more? When will all be made right? When and where? Where is the God of justice who will end our suffering? The prophet Malachi has the same answer for us that he had for the people back in his time. He is coming. As we look forward to that time, I am thankful to be able to look back to the manger in that little town of Bethlehem all those years ago. I'm thankful to be able to look back at promises that God kept. The prophet Malachi prophesied about the baby born in that smelly stall hundreds of years before his birth. He promised about one, or prophesied about one, that would be a messenger of the covenant, the one that would fulfill the promises that God made to man. I don't know what expectations you have for this Christmas season. I don't know what expectations you have for life going forward. Maybe you're like Pip and you see how things could be, how great and awesome they could be. Maybe you're a bit like me and you're just hoping that your kids will be happy with what will be waiting for them under the tree. I don't know what expectations you have in life, great or small, if they will be fulfilled or not. And I know that sometimes God will not meet the expectations that you have of him. Like the people in Malachi's day who became discouraged because things weren't turning out the way that they wanted. It is tempting to expect that because of God's great love for us, he will love us the ways that we want to be loved. It's tempting to expect that God would stop us from suffering, that God would keep us from harm and from pain. These are not the promises that God has made. And so they are not expectations that he accepts. What we can expect from God is that he will be with us during the struggle and the pain and the hardship. And we can expect that he will keep his promises, his promise to forgive us, his promise to see Christ when he looks at his children of faith, his promise to never leave us or forsake us, his promise to come again. To come again and to make all our struggles go away, to make us new and sinless, that we might live forever with him in eternity. May you take the peace of these promises into this Christmas season and into every other expectation that you may have for your life. For he is coming. What a fantastic, loving, amazing, gracious, and merciful God that we serve. Amen.